Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm in the studio with uh, Sean Garner, my partner, and we've got Cody Beeson, who's pushing buttons and turning knobs and stuff. Today is a good day. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, personal improvement. We're always looking for ways to improve ourselves. And there is a book that Sean and I were talking about recently by James Clear, who spends time talking about the British cycling team and how over the past over 100 years, they really were the, the uh, laughingstock of the cycling world. And we'll go into that a little bit deeper. But uh, what he found was the general principle of improving yourself a little bit in different areas will cause a great improvement improvement overall. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later on in the show. Before we get too far, I just want to remind you that if you haven't got your planning in place already, then now is the time. We deal with this every day. We see clients every day, families every day. And when they come in, I can, I can attest to the fact that they feel so much better when they leave our office because they feel like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders. What we do is we help families plan for the inevitable most likely you will go through a period of incapacity and eventually you will pass away. And being prepared for that will give you a peace of mind that uh, is like no other. If you start now, you don't have to worry and you won't leave a, a, um, a burden on your family members or your loved ones. And that's what we help you with. It might be overwhelming or daunting to think about, but that's why we're here. So give our office a call and come sit down with either Sean or I, and we can go through your particular situation, and we can we can outline what would be best for you and your family, and customize something to your family to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. And ultimately, most people that I meet with, they want to avoid probate processes and government red tape if they were to become incapacitated or pass away, and that's what we help you with, is planning for, for that event in your life, among other things. So having said that, give us a call. Uh, even if you have planning and it's been a while, give us a call and we can review that with you and uh, let you know if it's doing what you think it's doing or maybe it needs a little bit of an update. But give us a call regardless. If, if you're nervous about calling and, and taking that plunge, you don't know if, if you're a good candidate to sit in front of an attorney or talk to a law office just yet, go online and type in Yuma Estate Planning. And our website's going to come up. We're going to have 400 plus reviews on Google. You can re review some of those reviews and determine from people that in your similar circumstance what their experience has been. And then you'll you'll have access to a link that you can review what estate planning does, what we offer, and get a, a good idea as to what you would be talking about when you do call the office. So that's a good way to kind of dip your toe in the water and find out what we're all about. Getting back to what we were introducing at the very beginning of the show, we talked about this guy named James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and uh, it's a really good book. It has some good uh, tips in there. And what we really liked about it was the story of the British cycling team. And Sean, you want to talk a little bit more about what makes them so good these days? Because they weren't always very good. Yeah. So the British cycling team, they're, they're an elite cycling team right now. Everybody recognizes them. They, they've won of the past few Olympics, more gold medals than any other cycling team. And so it wasn't always that way. In 2003, um, they could look back in their history for the past hundred years, and they had a history of mediocrity. They had only won a single gold medal in the past hundred years, and they had never won 
the Tour de France, which is the pinnacle of bicycle racing. It's like the Super Bowl, right? Right. And so uh, what they did is they hired this guy. His name was Dave Brailsford. And he was their new performance director. And his approach was this doctrine that he called the aggregation of marginal gains. So he wasn't looking to make these massive improvements all at once, although they did need a massive improvement to bring them up to the leaderboard on bicycling. But he wanted just small gains in a bunch of different areas. And so what he did is at first, him and his team, they looked at a a bunch of small things for performance that you might expect. He looked at the comfort of the bike seats. He looked at the fabric of the uniforms that they were wearing. He tested them against the wind speed. They ended up switching the fabric from the outdoor uh, uniforms that they wore to the indoor because they found that there was uh, less resistance and they were more comfortable. He had the bikers start wearing um, shorts that were warmed. You know, they they were electric shorts. And so they kept the temperature of their legs at an optimal level so they could perform better. He started putting rubbing alcohol on the tires so they had a little better grip. And then he started taking even greater steps looking at the minuscule things. Like he had a surgeon come in and teach the team how to wash their hands and other hygiene habits that would prevent them from getting sick. That, that seems a bit extreme. But he also had other people come in and tell them how good sleep is and, and test out different pillows and mattresses to optimize their level of sleep. He had them come in and um, paint the van that they used to repair the bicycles white on the inside. So it was more like a surgical room and they could, they could identify any dust or impurities that were in the room. So any of those things that could impede the performance of the bicycle could be identified. And all of those little things had huge changes and they called it the 1%, the marginal gain and the 1%. And so that's the aggregation of marginal gains. In five years, the British team went from a, the type of team that some top bicycle manufacturers would not sell to because they didn't want to sully their name. That's how bad they were to dominating the bicycle field. In fact, in Beijing, in the Beijing Olympics, they won 60% of the available gold medals for bicycling. And later, in the next Olympics in London, they won, what was it, 11? James Clear says that they raised the bar in cycling that year. They were on their home turf, and uh, they ended up setting nine Olympic records and seven world records in that in that Olympics. Yeah, they increased the performance not only of their cycling, but they raised the bar for all cycling because they broke records uh, that had been set for uh, hundreds of years in the, in the bicycling field. And Bradley Wiggins, that very same year after the London Olympics, became the first British cyclist ever to win the Tour de France. And in the next year, his teammates, Chris Froome, He won in 2015, 2016, and 2017, giving the British cycling team five Tour de France victories in only six years. So that's that's an amazing accomplishment. What What was the formula? The formula was focusing on the small things. So I thought of that, okay, how do I do that? How do I focus on the small things? And I have a little bit of OCD. When I go home, I don't like just to sit still. I like to keep busy. And 
in order for me to get a good night's sleep, I need to feel like I've accomplished something. And just going through my regular routine about getting up, um, getting a little workout in, going to work and coming home, that's not enough for me. I need to get something else. And it can be small. So, for example, um, I will set a goal to do one home improvement item each night before I go to bed, whether it's fixing a sprinkler head or securing that wobbly towel hook that's on the wall, right? That's kind of been annoying or repairing my child's bicycle wheel. One of those things will really help me feel a sense of accomplishment. But more than that, when I look back through it, those things over time amount to much more than I could accomplish in any single weekend. And then my weekends become more enjoyable because I've got those things in order. When we want to go on a bike ride, the bikes are ready to go. Uh, when I turn on the sprinklers, I don't have one bubbling over. And it, it feels good and it accomplishes quite a bit. Adam, have you experienced something similar in your Yeah, and I think, I think the main daily routine. I, I think most people uh, would look to make huge gains in their daily life. And it's those big events that uh, we kind of seek for. In my mind, it, it's almost akin to the uh, get-rich-quick type mentality. A lot of people want something for nothing. My grandpa used to say this all the time. If anything worth something is going to take work. And uh, you see oftentimes that people will try and get a lot for nothing or try to get the best bang for their, their buck, if you will. But what this concept or this principle is that we're talking about today is it's focusing on what you're already doing and improving yourself just 1%, just 1%. And the math over time, the way that this would work out is if you were to improve yourself 1% each day over the course of a year, then you will have improved yourself 37% for that that particular year. That's how the, the math works out. So the little changes or the little improvements that you do in, a, in, a, in the course of a day might seem nominal, but when they're compounded over time, over the course of a year, they become incredibly significant. And the British cycling team showed us this example. They went from the laughingstock of the cycling world to setting a new bar for cycling in the course of 10 years. It took time and it took effort and it took a lot of hard work, but uh, they are now the premier cyclists in the world. And the way that they got there was looking at the, I would argue, the weird things that you wouldn't even think of. I mean, I, I don't even know how they came up with some of these things that they, they did or improved on, like bringing in a surgeon to teach them the proper method of washing their hands to keep them sickness-free or to attempt to do that, to paint the van where, that uh, hauls the bicycles completely stark white so that they can identify dust uh, very easily and clean that up so it doesn't get on the on the uh, bikes the bikes and then create drag when they're when they're actually cycling so those are the to me weird like I would have never thought of those things but thinking outside the box and making tiny improvements like that cause a huge profound effect Sean, you were talking the other day, we were, this was just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the idea of getting better in different areas of your life will actually improve your, your whole life. And I think you gave the example of, 
you, I used to think before you, we were talking about this subject and and uh, going through it, I used to think that in order to be good at, for for example, baseball, I would have to start when I was three years old and all I do is play baseball. And yes, there's a lot of truth to that. Over time, if I played baseball enough and I practice really hard, I'm going to become very, very good at that that act. That, uh, act. However, Sean, what you're saying was what they're finding now, studies are showing that if I were to play baseball and football and maybe wrestle and I try all these different sports, the, co- the combination of doing all these different multifaceted skills actually improves my, my one skill of baseball. Right. And perhaps what you find is that baseball isn't truly what you love to do. When you, when you do these other sports, you might find that football is actually something that you, you really, truly love. You don't mind going to the practices. In fact, you anticipate going to the practices. You set out your, your gear and your cleats beforehand because you're looking forward to getting out there and becoming better. And it, it gives you more fulfillment overall. When you dread doing something, regardless of whether you're putting um, intentionally what you feel like is all your effort into it, there is some reserve left back in the tank. But when you enjoy doing it, it untaps something that is subconscious, that allows you to go above and beyond what ordinary people can do. And that is the, that's the brilliance of opening yourself up to these different aspects of whether it's different hobbies or sports and allowing yourself to really find what functions for you. You hear often um, with, you know, I, I'm now in the, the stage of my life where I've got kids going to college and I ask them what they want to do and they say, well, I want to do something that I enjoy. And I said, well, that, that's okay. You can, you can do something you enjoy, but what are you going to do to earn money so that when you, you have time, you can do what you enjoy? And I think there's truth to both sides of the story. We need to do what needs to be done. We need to work. And uh, sometimes it's, it's not fun to, to do the daily grind and uh, earn a paycheck to provide food. But other times you can explore different career paths that meld together what your passion is with what helps other people and what people will pay for so you can earn a living doing it. And that's, that's the real key recipe there. Now, if you've got a hobby and uh, you are integrating that hobby with what you do when you work, that can be a real key contributor because maybe you can't be um, an artist, but maybe if you're going to be a teacher and you can, um, you can bring in your artist capacity with teaching and really make it fun for the kids, then you can flourish in teaching and also progress in your hobby and love what you're doing. We got to take a break. This is 5:60 a.m. KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law. Right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust 
and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm in studio here with Cody Beeson and Adam Hanson. We do estate planning, and we focus on helping people get their affairs in order, and we do it a little bit at a time. Typically, when somebody comes in and meets with us, what we do is we ask, where do you bank? And we write that down. And individuals start off sometimes the appointment or even setting up the appointment a little bit nervous, a little bit um, hesitant because they don't feel like everything's ready to go to provide all the information that we need to put together an estate plan. And uh, we don't need that. In fact, we are the people that help you identify the small things that will make the big changes. So we ask about the bank account. Where do you bank? Chase. Okay, great. Do you have other bank accounts? Do you know what? I do have an IRA. I really don't know what company it's with. Fine. That's okay. Let's put that down on your checklist. You'll be able to go home and you'll look through your paperwork and find a document that references that IRA. Then we'll be able to put that in your binder and we'll have a tab for each type of asset that you have. Your IRA, your uh, bank accounts, your life insurance, your vehicles your home, other things that you have that are important to you. Then when we check that list off, we start identifying how we want to um, value those items, how much they're worth, how much your estate overall is worth, and who you want it to go to. Importantly, we, we want to know who's going to be in charge if something happens to you and how your assets are going to be distributed. Is it going to be a little bit over time or is it going to be all at once with no strings attached, no restrictions? So those are the types of things that we do. We walk you through it step by step. And those are the the, the small 1% changes or um, issues that we deal with a little at a time that makes the estate plan come together in a holistic way that is seemingly painless but in the end, there's a very big accomplishment and, and you feel like the weight of the world is lifted off your shoulders. We talked about in the first segment uh, the, the concept of what's called aggregation of marginal gains. And this is a theory that was put forward in a book called Atomic Habits, written by James Clear. We made reference to the British cycling team and how over time they've really become the preeminent cyclist in the whole world. But they weren't always like that. I mean, it, it took about 100 years for them to get to that position in the world. And um, it wasn't overnight. They had to improve themselves a little bit in all sorts of different ways. They looked to these really weird and radical ways, I would argue, uh, that you wouldn't think of. But by improving a little bit over all these multifaceted 
ways of cycling and, and doing things in their daily lives, they were able to, within a, a span of 10 years, really become the the iconic cyclists of the whole world, uh, winning winning more medals, gold medals in, in the Olympics than any other team, um, winning the Tour de France, like, in a whole run, they'd be like the New England Patriots of of the cycling world. If you don't like the Patriots, I'm sorry, but that's the reality. Okay, <laughs> Cody's looking at me like, don't talk about the Patriots. That's okay. They're better than the Cardinals. It's okay. We can admit that. We're not we're not uh, too prideful to admit when a, a team is better. Okay, but yeah. they became they they didn't get there overnight, and uh, it takes little improvements every day. And sticking to it, I think James Clear brings up a good point. I, I'm going to read from, I'm going to read a, a quote from him. It says, "Most people love to talk about success and life in general um, as an event. We talk about losing 50 pounds or or building a successful business or winning the Tour de France as if if uh, they are they're events. But the truth is that most of the significant things in our life aren't standalone events." but rather the sum of all the moments when we choose when we chose to do things 1% better or a little bit better um, every day. Aggregating these marginal gains makes a huge difference over time. There's power to small improvements and slow gains. This is why average speed yields above average results. This is why the system is greater than the goal. This is why mastering your habits is more important than achieving a certain outcome. When we look to these big events in our lives or we define our lives by big events, well, I did this in my life. I went to the state championship in high school and, and you know, uh, it, it was, we talk about them like they were overnight. And the reality is, if you really think about it, it, it is a culmination of many little events over, your over the time of your life that led you to that big event that you might have been successful uh, in accomplishing. The flip side of that is if you stay stagnant or you don't improve yourself, you really slip quickly. Over the summer, I did not go to the gym as much as I typically do during the fall and the winter. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because of summer and we didn't, you know, we're doing a lot of different things and, and you're going around trying to get out of Yuma to get out of the heat. And so we weren't going to the gym as diligently. And I really saw my weight fluctuate during that time in a bad way. And, uh, it, it makes me sad because I feel like I work really hard during the year um, and in the short span of a week or two, a lot of that gain that I made over the course of the year is just gone so fast. It takes so much more time to gain muscle going to the gym over time, a month, two months, you know, to build up your muscle systems and how fast they degenerate when you don't exercise them. Uh, so fast. I mean, a week, week or two, you start to lose muscle mass. And uh, I hate that. It's, <laughs> it really does suck because you, you have to work so hard to get it. But once you get it, you have to maintain it or else you're going to slip very quickly. I think that uh, that principle is the same in life. I, our daily habits really have to be such that you do them every day and every day you get a little bit better. And overall, by the end of the year, you will be like I said before, according to James Clear, the math is 37% better, which is a third better. I mean, that's that's a huge gain over time. And that's only time. on 1%. You know, that's not just changing your entire lifestyle. 
in the matter of a couple of weeks or months. That's changing 1% at a time. But at the end of the year, you're going to see a, a great result. And I think we've, we've found that here, working together in this firm, what we've done is we've not been content with just traditional success. We've, we've achieved a great level of success here by helping people put their affairs in order. And uh, for many years, I would say probably 20 years, we, d- we accomplished that by educating the community through presenting live seminars. We would advertise those seminars in the newspaper. We'd advertise them in the mail. And then we would go to a public place like the Civic Center or the library, and we would educate people about what estate plans were all about. And so this, this kind of scary area that was misunderstood People could go in a very neutral atmosphere and learn more about it with other peers and determine whether or not they wanted to talk to us more. And that was a very successful approach. But as we were doing that, we wanted to look more into, okay, where is society going and looking for their information? Progressively, they're looking to social media, they're looking to go on the internet, they're looking to YouTube for informational videos. I would say that in 2010, I got next to no instructional information from YouTube. Other people that were more, um, you know, early adopters to YouTube, they, they found that earlier, but uh, I didn't. Today, I probably get 90% of the things that I learn to do, whether it's repairing my boat or whether it's fixing a patch in the, in the drywall, I learn it from YouTube. I just want to say the most successful YouTube um, person I know is Adam Hansen. Right. I think that our, our firm is, is a representation of all the little things that can be learned from YouTube. Oh, I'm just saying I know how to change out a hot water heater because of Adam Hansen. That's my, that's my uh, one-hit wonder. It, it was a water softener, wasn't it? It was a water softener, yeah. And uh, so, Sean, you mentioned 2010. 20, 2009 is when I posted that video on YouTube. The, the, long, the long story is that uh, I acquired a water heater or no, it was a water softener, yeah. And uh, I went to go install it myself because I'm cheap. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, I don't. I, I think you just do this. I couldn't. And so I went to YouTube to try and find help. Surely there would have been somebody that installed a water softener and and tells you how to do it. But I could not find any. There was nothing. And so um, what I did was I installed it myself. You know, the best that I could figure out. I cut the pipes, and they were copper pipes, and so I cut them, and then I, I had to sweat the sweat the pipes, you know, to hook it into the water softener into the main house and uh, plumbing system. And so I get done with this, and I, I take out my rudimentary camera at the time. This is 2009, and I just talked about, I went, I filmed what I did, and I just talked about what I did, um, you know, on, on camera. And then I posted it on YouTube, because I thought, my, my thought was, I don't want somebody else like me that had that issue not find the information. So I'm just going to help. You know, I'm like, I'll just upload this and maybe there's a, a dumb guy like me out there that this might help. And about three or four months later, I get contacted by YouTube and they're like, hey, you need to attach a bank account to your YouTube account so we can pay you. And I'm like, yeah, right. This is complete fraud, you know? And so I ignored it for probably six months seven months and then my wife one day she's like we keep getting these emails from from google to do this like you think it's legit and so i actually went in i read the email and it turned out to be yeah it was uh, um it was legitimate so i 
I hooked up a bank account and um, there's money that was just sitting there because of all the views that it got. I got like over half a million views or something like that on this stupid video. And uh, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was like, I want to say $350 or something that came into our bank account. And then every once in a while after that, we would get every time it would hit $100, it would come automatically into our bank account. But over time, over the course of a couple of years, it just kind of dissipated. It went away. Um, so that was my one hit wonder on YouTube. So you learned the power of YouTube by producing the video. And then certainly after that, you've gone to YouTube. You learned a lot of things. We are talking right now from the basement of our law firm. And it's quite an impressive setup. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, dozens and dozens of wires connected. There's three or four cameras hooked up. There's screens. There's, there's microphones hanging all over the place. And uh, all of this is done from learning on YouTube what's available, going on Amazon or other electronic stores, and ordering the supplies. And it's, it's trial and error. But we're able to put it together. Now, w what does this have to do with estate planning, or why would anybody that's listening care about what we're doing in, in the basement of our law firm? Here's why. Because in 2020, the world went through the pandemic. And, and, it, and it changed everything. It, it flipped upside down. And whereas 80% of our new business was coming in from seminars, in-person in seminars, mainly to people that were retired, so ages 65 and up, that stopped in just one day. It was like done. And so we needed to figure something else out. Well, we had never stopped attempting to improve, to implement technology into our law firm, to make sure that we could spread the word out on, on, a, on a bigger, wider basis. And uh, so when that happened, we were able to convert the seminar into an online seminar. And so rather than doing it in person, anybody that was interested in estate planning could go to the online in their PJs at home and watch it. And we've been able to maintain our law firm the same level of success that we experienced in years past. In fact, we've grown about 15% in the past uh, two years because we were able to implement technology. And this was a passion. This was a hobby that Adam really enjoyed doing. And it, it kept him excited to come to work. And it turned out to be the real bread and butter for making this law firm successful. That works for everybody. Find your passion, find out what works, and then find a way to implement it, either in a way that will make your life more enjoyable, so it makes it fun to get up in the morning, or implement it in a way that uh, you can make your profession a little bit better. Tweak it. We got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM, KBLU. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. 
I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. Previous to the break, we were talking about uh, this idea of improving yourself a little bit over time, and you'll see much greater results than trying to improve yourself a lot in one day. And uh, we call this the aggregation of marginal gains. We made reference to, at the very beginning of the show, the British cycling team and how wonderful they are and how they got to be there, but they weren't always that way. And what they found was when they implemented different techniques and and improved themselves, what they said, 1% in all these different holistic areas around what they were doing, what they found is over the course of time, day in, day out, these improvements improved their their cycling greatly. We talked a little bit about um, jumping into a project that you enjoy and how bringing in outside concepts to what you're doing will improve not only yourself, but the project itself. We talked about... Uh, uh, Sean was he, he told me about this concept of working on different areas of your life um, that might not seemingly be related to your work will actually improve your work because you enjoy what you're doing. You learn different skills outside of, of what you're doing every day, day in, day out in work. And those skills will actually make you better at what you do, regardless of what it is. If you like carpentry and you get into that hobby and you you love to do that when you get home from work, it's going to play a role when you get back to work the next day because um, by imp- implementing that hobby that you enjoy in your life, you're improving your 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 happiness that particular day. Um, it allows you to free your mind, you know, from the hard rigors of that work day. And when you get back the next day, you're ready to go. And uh, the skills that you're using in that particular hobby can actually be put towards what you're doing in your daily work. And we take this concept, it's not our concept, it, we take it from James Clear book, uh, Atomic Habits. When I first heard the topic of the book, Atomic Habits, the thing that came to mind to me was, okay, you, you implement these habits and you're going to have this boom, it is an atomic explosion type of result. And that's, that's the, the vision that came into my mind. But that's not at all what he intended when uh, he wrote the title. What he was thinking of is atomic. The atom is a very, very small particle, right? We used to think it was the very smallest particle. But obviously we know that there are small, smaller particles, electrons, protons, and neutrons within the atom. But anyway... Um, it's very small, and, and so very, by very small incremental changes, you can have magnificent uh, improvements in your life or in your level of achievement. So he was a very good baseball player, James Clare, just to give a bit of background on him in high school. And uh, then this freak accident occurred. He was 
playing baseball and uh, somebody swung the bat, the bat slipped out of their hand and smacked him in the head and crushed his eye socket in, his, his brain started hemorrhaging and he got rushed to the hospital and it took a long recovery for them to fix his skull and uh, address the brain damage that he incurred from this accident. And so when he went back to baseball, he was really a mediocre player. And he put, he, he, he went back with the same mentality. He still thought he was a good baseball player. He just wasn't performing the way he had before. And so he went on, uh, graduated high school, and went to college and, and was playing baseball. And he did fairly well in college baseball. But what he started to see was the reason he was able to keep up with the other guys that were actually much more talented or came in with a, a much higher skill level than he did was that he was doing certain things every day, day in and day out, the little things that helped him continue to grow. So by the time he graduated, um, he was given high honors and, and, and had quite high accolades in, in college baseball. But he never went on to go play pro. And he said the reason was, number one, he, he wasn't probably pro material. And so he recognized that throughout his college career. But bigger than that, he recognized how he could become something much more than just a great baseball player. He could actually enrich his life altogether. And that was by implementing small or atomic habits into his life and then achieving great gains from that. And so he wanted to be a writer. He wanted to uh, put out a podcast. He wanted to help other people understand these concepts. But he didn't know the first thing about writing. So he just started. And his first editor took a look at it and said, no, this is garbage. And, and, and uh, it's never going to make it to being published. And he didn't give up. He said, okay, I'm going to submit it to a different editor, to a different editor, until finally... Um, somebody picked this up and and understood it for what it was, this fantastic achievement of recognizing how small incremental steps can make monumental gains. And so I strongly recommend that you read his book, Atomic Habits. James Clear is the name of this uh, author. And he provides um, not only a podcast out there, but a newsletter to help people implement those habits into their life. And he breaks this down, the formation of new habits, which habits are so powerful. Habits are essentially who we are. They define us, whether they're good habits or bad habits. And he breaks it down into four different um, steps that you need to create a habit. The first is the cue. So something is going to remind you, this is at, th at this point, this is when I go to bed. At this point, this is when I go eat dinner. At this point, this is when I uh, go and exercise. So there are cues. Now, there are natural cues that occur in our, occur in our life uh, through every day. But there are cues as well that we can artificially create to create new habits. The cue will create a craving. And so for an example, you're walking down the street, you, you're feeling fine, you're not hungry, you're not thirsty, you're not tired, you're just fine. And then you walk past a donut shop, okay? And you start smelling that uh, aroma of freshly baked donuts. And you all, all, all of a sudden feel hungry. You want to eat some donuts. 
And so that's the cue and the, the craving that you have to eat some donuts. That is a very powerful motivation. And so what's the response? Well, the response is you open the, the, the door of the store and you go in and uh, you purchase a donut and you eat it. And now the taste of the donut as you're chewing it and swallowing it, that's your reward. But it ends there because when you walk out of the store and you're done eating your donut, you have a couple bucks less in your wallet and um, a couple calories more in your gut. So that, he says, just as that is the cue, craving, response, and reward pattern that we follow that is so powerful in determining what we do every day, we can artificially tweak that system to create good habits that will modify our lifestyle to achieve outcomes that we wouldn't achieve otherwise or wouldn't even imagine we could achieve otherwise. I mean, doesn't it take like three weeks to build a habit and two days to destroy it? He talks about that. He, he, He talks about how long does it take to create a habit. And there is a lot of science that goes into that, that it takes... Um, some people say 21 days to so three weeks. Other people say that you can cut it down to seven days. And other people say that it, it takes three months. And what he says is it's not the amount of time that you put in. It's the amount of effort that you put in with that particular thing. If you try really hard to create a habit, then you can create a habit fairly quickly. And if you're just going mediocre and you allow yourself to slip frequently and, 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 and uh, don't get back on track with that habit, then not only will it not occur in seven days or three weeks or, or seven weeks, it'll never occur. It'll just be something that you're aspiring to. And so it's the amount of effort that you put into it. Now, habits, sometimes when you change your... Um, when, when you change your everyday routine, that takes a lot of energy up front. And so one thing that he suggests is kind of clear your mind and your schedule of everything else that's not absolutely routine when you're creating a new habit because you're going to need to put a lot of energy up front to get this habit going. But once it, once it starts going, then it's going to propel itself forward. For example, he talked about an individual that was extremely clean and his house is always tidy. And his friends would come over and say, uh, hey, you know, this must be exhausting to keep your house this clean all the time. But the individual, what he would do is he every time he put something down, he would make sure before he got up and left the room, he would put that thing away, that he would never put dirty clothes on the floor. He would put dirty clothes in a dirty clothes basket. He would put clean clothes in a clean clothes basket. And at the end of, say, the week, the clean clothes basket would be emptied and put away. And so those are very small habits. And then when he got up to go to work, it only took him five minutes to find his clothes and overall 15 minutes to get ready and get out of the house. And as opposed to somebody who is, um, quote unquote, more lazy, where their clothes are all over the place and, and you got dirty clothes piled in one corner and clean clothes still in the dryer, they're going to take a lot longer to go to work. And so they actually put a lot more time and effort into accomplishing the same thing. He says, Honestly, I'm very lazy. I'm so lazy that I do these things systematically so I don't have to work hard when I get up to get ready. And that's the, that's the power of these little habits. That's all the time that we have for today. This is 560 AM, Life, Death, and the Law, KBLU. 
If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.